Breaking the Glass Slipper, we believe it is important to have conversations about women and issues of intersectional feminism within science fiction, fantasy and horror. To continue to do so, we need your help. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. Join the conversation by following us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Hello, and welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. I'm Charlotte Bond. I'm Megan Lee. And I'm Lucy Hounsome. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens is one of the staples of Christmas. As well as the original book, it's possible to watch adaptations involving, among others, Bill Murray, Jim Carrey, Patrick Stewart and, mine and Megan's favourite, Michael Caine. It has even been used for specials for the likes of Doctor Who and Barbie. This iconic story has been reimagined and reinvented many, many times. And yet, how many times have you seen Scrooge as a woman? Ms. Scrooge does exist, but only in minor adaptations that receive very little fanfare or retention. Is there something about this story that puts it in the firm remit of men and their experiences? Who are the women in A Christmas Carol and what influence, if any, do they have over events? So let's start by thinking about the versions we've seen and loved throughout our lives. Megan and Lucy, what are your favourite versions? Okay, well, before Lucy gets in and disses the holy grail of Christmas Carol adaptations, The Muppet Christmas Carol is obviously the best version of A Christmas Carol. And I will take no nonsense from Miss Hounsome. She is not allowed to disagree because it is fact that it is the best version of A Christmas Carol. Says the woman who has not seen Patrick Stewart as Scrooge. I rest my case. Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I know. I love Jean-Luc, but but I, I just don't think he could beat Rizzo and Gonzo. And <laughs> uh, it's just just sad. It is, it, it wounds me and my spirit that you you have no <laughs> faith in dear Patrick. <laughs> I'm culturally bereft. So if uh, anyone uh, missed that by any chance, I am making a case for the Patrick Stewart version of A Christmas Carol, which, to be honest, is the version that we watch most frequently. My dad is a massive Christmas Carol fan, like really could probably watch it back to back for like the whole of Christmas Day if you wanted to. Um, so, yeah, he he's insists again on them. He, I think there was an Alec Guinness version, but I don't really know that version really well. And to be honest, everyone in this household is happy with Patrick Stewart. <clears throat> I do like Alec Guinness, though, as well. So that, that could be potentially something worth watching. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think I've seen a really bad version, but then I don't think I've seen many versions. <laughs> I really like the Patrick Stewart one because, I mean, it's Patrick Stewart and anything is just good. But I did kind of feel like he stole the show and that it was just, you were just watching it for him really and he carried it all with him. I kind of felt that the Muppet Christmas Carol, which I do very much love, at least had a good variety of secondary characters. And when you read the original book, it is very Scrooge heavy and it's quite dismissive of the other characters. And certainly, which I know we're going to come on to, the, the female characters in it. And I know that Megan dislikes Miss Piggy, but she certainly brings the role of Emily Cratchit to life and really makes her bold and boisterous. I mean, in The Christmas Carol itself, you've just got 
the bit where Emily says, oh, why are we toasting Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast? That works really well as Miss Piggy. So I think they've cast them really well to kind of emphasise all the secondary characters, which you don't necessarily get with the Patrick Stewart one, as fabulous as he is. I'll say this for the Muppet Christmas Carol one. One thing that I always really loved about it were the ghosts. I'm not mad about the ghost of Christmas past, which is interesting because it's the only female one. And that is, I believe, a deviation from the original because, of course, you know, Muppets is very faithful to the uh, (coughs) original (coughs) narrative. (laughs) Uh, But the ghost of Christmas present is just amazing. And okay, stepping aside of the uh, narrative kind of elements for a bit, has anyone really looked at that puppet? Like, obviously there's a man in there, but they managed to get his face to do some amazing things and his eyes actually track the people that he's interacting with. And I just don't know how they did it. It's amazing. It's such good work. And I just watch that. I'm always blown away by the incredible artistry in that Muppet. And then the the Ghost of Christmas Future in the Muppet version when I was a kid, I was terrified of him. I didn't think there was anything scarier than that, you know, not having a face, just that cavernous, deep, dark creepiness and um, and just pointing and not saying anything. And oh my goodness, it was just, it was terrifying. And I still get a little bit like ugged out by it, but uh, I, I really love it. And I haven't seen as many versions of A Christmas Carol as I think some of you have, but I can't imagine they they really managed to get the the weirdness of that ghost of Christmas future. Oh, they do. They They really do? do. Yeah. All the ghosts of Christmas future I've seen have been like death figures. So with their faceless, cowled, um, they don't speak. They never, ever speak. I think all the ghosts I've seen are really good because they all have, they all bring their own kind of creepy eeriness to like Marley has is always chained and chains are always wonderfully eerie and clanky and really kind of raise the hairs on your arms wait wait hang on is there only one Marley yes (laughs) okay this is why you need to watch the Patrick Stewart version (laughs) for the real story (laughs) no but it's Marley and Marley it's just (laughs) sorry I honestly thought there was always two. Um, okay, sorry. Back to you, Lucy. It's his ex-partner. It's like his business partner. It's not like twins or anything. But in fairness to the Muppets, I think he is called in the book Jacob Robert Marley. So what they've done is they've had Jacob and Robert Marley. So they're still keeping to it. But yeah, it is only one person, I'm afraid, Megan. And also the ghost of Christmas present. Now, it's really interesting because actually I find him weirdly he's it's he's done really well the versions i've seen anyway they they kind of make him synonymous with like Hearn the hunter the or, or or woden like there's a certain kind of animalistic intensity almost paganish about a ghost of christmas present like he he's meant to be like a father christmas figure a saint nicholas like um cornucopia all these wonderful foods spilling out and he's sitting by a roaring fire but there is something very primal about him like you you i think there are some adaptations i've genuinely seen antlers coming out of his head and i think even though that's not like the the skeletal death figure i still think that um is also kind of eerie especially to someone like scrooge well i always thought 
the ghosts, whichever production you look at, work quite well because they they've all got very distinct personalities, and none of the productions I've ever seen have ever changed that. I don't remember, and I meant to look it up before we came on, see if I could find stills of all the other adaptations and see who they cast as the ghost of Christmas past. But it is usually a child or some kind of almost androgynous creature in the ones that I've seen. And then you do have, like Lucy says, the the, the hunter, the big, jovial, really loud one. And then you have the one who is in complete contrast to both the innocence of the first one and the joviality of the second one. And I think that choice really hammers at home just how scary it is. And I think this works really well in the Muppets because you've got all of this fun stuff and then suddenly you've got a really quite scary bit and it is very dark and miserable and the whole scenery changes and it's raining and it's grey and you haven't got all the colourful little Muppets around anymore. So that works really well. And I think in other productions, they still tend to, they build up to it by having a sort of a sense of menace all the way through and as we've talked about before, and Lucy has mentioned on the podcast, that even with the ghost of Christmas present, there is that bit with want and ignorance where he pulls his robes apart and you've got these two starving children underneath. So even the, the jovial, you know, fantastic one, there's still an element of sinisterness to it, which obviously you don't get in the Muppets because they have no starving children in that. But, I mean, we've talked all about the, the different types of the Christmas cows we've seen. What do you think it is about this story that has held our fascination for so long. Because, I mean, it was published in December 1843 and had a really good reception, according to stuff I've read. And it's just never really been out of the the imagination when it comes to Christmas. What elements do you think Dickens has captured that really stays with us year after year? Archetypes. As simple as that, I think. We all know a Scrooge character. There's always someone who is raining on everyone else's parade, who is being miserable when everybody else wants to have a good time. There's always that person. And and we all know people who who are penny pinchers, as they would say, or or so on. And it's it's definitely just an archetype that we can all very quickly, easily relate to. While at the same time, it's it's the accepted norm that one should be happy and loving and enjoy fun and, and things like Christmas. So the ending is not anything that most people would argue with. And if they did argue with it, you could just call them a Scrooge. So I think, yeah, it's definitely just the pure archetypal nature of these characters, um, particularly Scrooge. Mm. And yeah, I don't know. I think also given that Christmas comes around every year and it's celebrated in so many different countries and, you know, even heathens like myself and Lucy, you know, we we still love Christmas despite being staunch atheists and and that's helps bring it out every single year. It's a it's a story that is archetypal and has a specific place in a moment that comes every year, so it always gets brought out again and again. Well, I think it's really interesting you said that we all know a Scrooge. Now, I was talking to my parents around the dinner table tonight and they said, uh, well, who who do you know who's a Scrooge? And I was like, actually, I don't know anybody who's a Scrooge. I really don't. I don't know anyone who is is like, I've never come across, maybe I'm just lucky, but I don't really know anyone who is so cruel and miserly. And, because, and, and my point is that while people have these traits you know and there are certainly some mean-spirited folks out there um 
Scrooge, like many Dickensian characters, is a caricature. Like he is a caricature of the antithesis of the Christmas spirit. He is everything that, from a Christian perspective, certainly, we are told to be at Christmas. You know, charity is is to, even though, and it's ch- saying charity in this like post-capitalist world where everyone goes crazy at Christmas and then at Boxing Day then goes again and spends all the money in the sales. It's horrible. So to say that it's a bit kind of like disingenuous, but the whole point of Christmas was meant to be about loving and giving and charity. And then you've got this figure um, of of Scrooge, who is absolutely the opposite of everything that you are kind of supposed to do and say and be. He's cold, miserly, wants solitude when everything, you know, you're supposed to be at Christmas is, is, you know, sociable and happy and loving. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're so compelled to like watch this again and again is, is this character. Everyone feels maybe a bit caught up in his redemption and catharsis, because if someone as bad as him can undergo a change, uh, this uh, such a vital change, then maybe there's hope for the world and there's hope for the rest of us. It was interesting when you said it's everything about Christmas is loving and giving and charity. And I've been doing an awful lot of Christmas research. I do every year because it fascinates me. And of course, the Victorians invented a lot of the traditions that we have today. And prior to that, for you know a good while, you had the Puritans in charge of, of Parliament who have completely banned Christmas. And it kind of it was coming back again, but it was all about feasting and you know all the traditions and things like that. And when I was researching for this episode, I read that one of the things that really prompted Dickens to write about this story is because he went to some local schools and saw how poorly educated the children were and how badly they were treated. And he wanted to kind of bring this to the public's attention because I think the public were very focused on themselves and their family and their Christmas traditions. They hadn't really thought about the wider society. I think up till then it had been a sort of a a Christian idea. And now the thing about Christmas Carol is that it's not really secular. There's no Christ in it, but it's got all of the elements that we would look for in a good person. So you can kind of have the morals of Christmas without needing to bring Christ into it. So for people who are humanitarian, people who are agnostic, whatever, you've got something that is the spirit of the season almost. And I think that Dickens was very clever at that point to bring in these elements at a time when perhaps people weren't necessarily paying attention to it and everyone went, well, hang on, that that is really good and we are really moved by it. And there are lots of stories, if you look through history, of how people have read A Christmas Carol and then have donated money to children or given their factory workers the day off. If you read up on it, you know, there's all these instances in history where people have been moved by it because it just appeals to everyone on a level that doesn't require any kind of faith. I agree. Yeah, though I have to say Tiny Tim leaves me cold. I never liked that character. I thought it was put in there for the sob story. Yeah, I have to say I agree. Ugh. I always thought Tiny Tim was there to emphasise the family's reaction to him. And yes, you feel sorry for him in a certain way, but then in the last one, he just isn't there, is he? His, it's an empty seat by the fire. And what you are really moved by is the family's reaction to him rather than to him himself. Or is that me being very, very cold-hearted? <laughs> well, he doesn't really die. That's only in the future that uh, the, the Ghost of Christmas Future shows Scrooge, that the empty place by the fire. That's, what, that's what I mean. 
You yeah. don't get taken to Tiny Tim's bedside as he's dying. You just see the world without him, really. Oh, I see. In that scene. I mean. yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's not necessarily his absence that you're responding to. It is the grief that everybody else is showing that you you sympathise with and you feel for them. That's absolutely true, yeah. It's the, the effect on Cratchit and, um, you know, the family. and the. I think because Tiny Tim is supposed to embody this this hope, a fragile hope that... I don't know that things can get better if you change. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he's he's there to embody tuberculosis. But, well, uh, I suppose that too. <laughs> I think he's there to embody the the probably the many many thousands of underpaid workers, families who go hungry not just at Christmas but all year round. Because Dickens, whether you like him or loathe him, did talk about the conditions of the working class and the, the poor and the workhouses in Victorian Britain. Yes, he was very concerned about the poor as long as you weren't a woman and poor. Yes. Thank you, Megan, for segueing into our next question. Beautifully done. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what women are there in the Christmas Carol? I was trying to have a think and there is, there's Belle, obviously, his long lost love. There's Fred's wife, who I believe isn't named that I'm aware of. Uh, Emily Cratchit and her three children, Martha, Belinda and Lucy. Mrs. Fezziwig, who is the life and soul of the party. Well, sort of. And then Warren, I had never really figured on. that kind of gets brushed over, but in some adaptations has been a really strong character. Is Fan or Fran, who is actually Ebenezer Scrooge's sister who died when he was younger. And it's from Fran or Fan that we get Fred, his nephew. Because, of course, you see his nephew all the time and you never actually think, how did his nephew get there? Or at least I never did. But apparently it's through his sister who died. And one of the adaptations they made with uh, a female Scrooge was they said, well, what actually, if it hadn't been uh, Fran who died, what if she'd gone on and, you know, it'd be an Ebenezer who died, what would happen then? And I thought that was quite an interesting thing to, to talk about. So what about you? Are there any of the adaptations you've seen, are there any striking female characters in it that you remember? Well, I'm just glad that you brought that adaptation up. I think it was the brainchild of uh, Piers Torday, the author, who read the uncovered an uncovered stash of, of like private letters or by Dickens um, to various people, which shed light on the way he treated his own wife, uh, Catherine, who apparently bore him 10 children and then got ill or was maybe mentally unwell because he tried to have her committed so she he could then carry on his affair with the younger woman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a shit. So yeah, so this also all uh Pistole thought, oh that that really is pretty shit. So um uh so that yeah, so enter Miss Scrooge, which is uh, it reverses the positions of uh, Fan and Ebenezer. So Ebenezer was the one who died young and Fan was the one who went on to become the Ebenezer-type Scrooge that we all know and love and hate. But the whole point of the stage show was to shed light on Dickens's own misogyny and the fact that, you know, he addresses all of these social welfare welfare issues, but, you know, may not have been so fair and just to his own wife, uh, which is really fairly terrible. But a great idea to to kind of flip that on its head. Well, I was thinking of the characters, like Belle, I think it was, and Mrs. Cratchit. 
And both of them, in their own way, despite their incredibly minor roles, do have quite a forthright character. So Belle speaks her mind and says, you know what, Ebenezer, I don't like the person you've become. And despite marriage being quite a big thing in Victorian times for a woman, she's like, I don't think I want to marry you. And, you know, it's quite a brave choice for a woman. And Emily Cratchit is the one who kind of calls Scrooge on his his miserliness. And admittedly, it's not to his face, but it is in the face of her husband and kind of going, you know, well, look, actually, he's not a great person. Uh, and I thought they were, they were very small moments, but they, they were quite interesting to be included there. And I almost feel like the women in this act as a living conscience. So you've got the ghosts of whatever, you know, variations you want. But for the for the living people, it's always the, the women who are the ones trying to, to make you feel better or see the world as it is and bring you to your senses. Hmm. My problem is thinking about Dickens in the wider context where most of his female characters beyond very, very tiny parts, which I think is what happens in A Christmas Carol, are either sort of down upon their luck, something terrible and tragic has happened to them, or they're quite cruel, manipulative. They're, they're somehow, you know, the the evil Eve type figures. And I just don't know how I, that makes me feel about the characters in A Christmas Carol, because I think you're right. Like, Belle is actually a really interesting character. And to be honest, if there was another reimagining of Scrooge, why not give her story? Because that's interesting. A woman at that time just being like, no, you know what? You're an asshole. Bugger off. Because <laughs> I can't imagine too many of them had the balls to do that. But she's so minor. And Miss Cratchit is so, so minor. And the rest is just all dudes. It's such a sausage fest. And so are all of Dickens' books, except maybe Great Expectations. But again, the women there are awful. I think it's really quite sad that throughout the whole thing, there's so few women. Mm. And, you know, the one that you mentioned, Belle, I think that's really interesting because actually she, you could definitely make a case for her being the most important character in A Christmas Carol because it is mostly, I think, due to her leaving that Scrooge ends up the way he is. I mean, he's clearly going down that path and she says, you know, I'm, and that's her choice. And I think that, you know, it's interesting because they, the, it, Dickens has actually empowered her, even though he, he kind of disempowers her into a, a you know, a, a minor character at the same time, because he could easily have fridged her and, you know, she, the, the lonely love of his life dies a terrible, lonely death. And that's what makes him embittered. But actually it's worse than that. She makes her own decision to, you know, he is offering her a pretty comfortable life. Like, you know, because he's good at making money. It's just that he's also a shit and he has no morals. So she's strong enough to say, like, as you pointed out, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to stand for that. But I feel like that is, you know, he he took that decision to put her own fate in her own hands and knowing what it would do to his main character. So actually there is there is groundwork laid there for a really interesting adaptation. If if that was brought out more, you know, I'd like to know what she went on to do, or I'd like to know what what went through her mind when she made that decision. Like clearly her own heart was breaking too. But 
Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, is such um, a complicated character, especially at that moment in his life when he was, he could have gone both ways, when he was still young, still in love. I loved a, a book or a stage show to explore that moment in his life when those avenues were still open to him. It would have been really fascinating. I've got a question for you. I think, as was so rightly said, A Christmas Carol is a bit of a sausage fest, despite having some interesting female characters. But do we think there is an argument that actually it is a story that is very much against toxic masculinity and actually casts men in a slightly more feminist role? So, for example, you've got the fact that you've got Bob Cratchit at one point is crying over Tiny Tim, something we don't necessarily get. And we've done a whole speech on it in several occasions about how you don't necessarily have men crying over deaths unless it's all dramatic. But this is something, you know, it's very, it's very focused. It's very family orientated. It's not a big dramatic death. It's just genuine grief. You have the fact that Scrooge's worst decision in life, as Lucy was just saying, is this point where he can choose to be with a family, with um, with Belle. And in the book, I know there's a bit where he sees Belle later on being really happy with children of her own. And he's like, oh, I could have had this. But instead, he chooses the toxic masculinity role of going, well, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be a capitalist. I'm not going to show emotion. I'm not going to give to charity. I'm going to be hard nosed and all this kind of thing. And by redeeming himself at the end, he's actually showing what a bad choice it is for men to follow this role. And there was also an interesting article I I read where it said that Dickens was effectively writing a cliched rom-com premise. If you look at it from a male, uh, from a female point of view, think about how many female stories we have these days with the the hardworking businesswoman who doesn't have time for a family and then finds the love of her life and, and goes with him and has lots of children and is very happy and manages to balance work and life. And it is almost like that, but gender swapped and in Victorian England. So, I mean, do you think there's an element of that? Do you think that Scrooge in his transformation and the characters around him are showing more sort of positive qualities that aren't necessarily seen in men in that era? Well, only in contrast to Scrooge's complete lack of them, I think everyone else is just portrayed as decent human beings with their faults and their qualities. I wouldn't necessarily argue that they are especially feminist. I would say that they're generally... I I think the problem when you've got a character like Ebenezer Scrooge, who is is a caricature of himself, I mean, seriously, some of the stuff he says is so completely outrageous and excellent. It is very funny that you put him against anyone else and they all kind of pale into normality, really. (laughs) You know, he is so completely outlandish. So it's quite hard to compare him to kind of other characters in the in the book. I worry a little bit about thinking that perhaps this is a kind of anti-toxic masculinity story about you know potentially reading too much into it or very much reading what we want to see. And I I definitely think there's some of that. But I will say that just generally, as as Lucy said, you know, the others are just represented as decent human beings. And to have a moral of a story being, don't be a dick, be a decent human being, is a pretty good one. 
whether or not it's masculine, feminine, whatever, I think that's a, a pretty good thing to have. But I don't know if it's necessarily against anything that's particularly masculine or, you know, that plays a part in toxic masculinity. Mm. Because there still is an element of you should work hard, you should make money. It's just that once you make money, you should also give back. And as I don't know, I just, I think that perhaps saying that it, it sort of takes apart some of those values is, is probably giving it too much credit. Yeah, I think it does very, very well what it sets out to do. It's a brilliant Christmas fable, really. And that's what it's supposed to be. It's, um, you know, uh, was it you, Charlotte, you were saying earlier about um, various people reading it and then feeling like they needed to donate to charity. I mean, that is absolutely a success story. That is what it's supposed to do. So I think, and because it's however many 150 years old or something, um, (laughs) it's difficult to assess it in the same way that, you know, we usually apply our filters of gender to, you know, most other kind of popular culture, because it was just a product of its time. It is so different. It seems to me it had a very specific intention, which it does achieve, as I said, really well. And so I don't think that it is very hard to kind of hold it up to the same sort of scrutiny that we, um, we do to the other sources books and films and things that we talk about usually. Well, it's interesting you say that it's actually a product of its time, because when I was looking at the remakes which have a female in the main role, they all seem to be pretty modern. We had Ebby, in which it was a department store magnet, Miss Scrooge, who's a moneylender and landlord. Diva's Christmas Carol was a singer, there was a talk show host, there was a book publisher, but they're all set in the modern world, and I wondered whether it would actually be possible to write the Scrooge story with a female in the central role in Victorian times, or whether that just would not be believable. Because as Lucy said, you're talking about, oh, everybody knows a Scrooge, and although we don't necessarily, it is sort of a caricature of the people at the time, which you might not necessarily have these days because we're more self-aware and we're more into charity. But I mean, could you have a miserly woman, perhaps with that much power over families, that a change of heart could make a difference? Maybe if she was a widow, I don't know about the laws and when it came, you know, that women could own property and and all that sort of stuff. It would be the power thing that would really potentially trip it up, I think, because women in that time didn't really have a ton of power. But perhaps if she had a husband that was quite weak-willed and she just basically controlled him and basically worked controlled the business, controlled him, controlled all the money. I think it could work in that way. But a woman just on her own might be a little hard to swallow given what we know of the time and the, the yeah, the cultural context. I mean, I think there were women in that situation. I think there are certainly women who were of the aristocracy, you know, or women who were widows who didn't have any heirs and so the, the the whole estate would have gone. They were very probably many, many very powerful women. It's uh, it's just that it's probably not so common to find them presiding over the fates of 
a large number of workers or in an, in an industrial setting are usually yeah the- it's yeah. It's the entrepreneurial part because That's Scrooge is an entrepreneur. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, and he built his own business. And, you know, at that time, I don't think women would have built their own business. They they may have inherited one or, you know, being actually running the books behind, you know, the scenes that, you know, of their husband's company, you know, really it's all the woman. But I don't think that they would have ever been able to start their own business and build up kind of, you know, a a big empire or whatever, you know. (laughs) I just don't think that quite would have worked. But then to pick up on the point that Charlotte made at the very beginning of this question is, of course, not to say that A Christmas Carol, um, even though I said it was a product of its time, um, it's not to say it can't work uh, transposed into the modern era because, of course, it's a fable because fables work in kind of every time period. I mean, that whole point of the message is it's a, a kind of catharsis story so it's like how somebody can change and that sort of story you could just take out of its victorian setting and put into kind of any setting and if you want to do that you necessarily have to look at the social mores that are typical of the setting you're putting that story into and i think that's why we see so many more female scrooges in modern adaptations because it is not unlikely to see them in this day and age, whereas it would have been very much unlikely to see them when the story was originally published. Okay, I have a question to pose. Do you think that if you are doing an adaptation of a book like this now, is it your responsibility? Is it, you know, something that you should, in inverted commas, should do? in updating it, whether or not you're setting it in Victorian times or now, with a more modern sensibility? Is it our responsibility to show men and women on a more equal footing? Is it our responsibility to swap out some of those male characters for women so that there are there is a bit more representation in there? Do you think that we need to do that? Or is it perfectly okay to simply repeat or redo the exact the story pretty much exactly as it was written on the page? Well, I was thinking about the comments earlier that women in Victorian times could own and manage property, but it would always have maybe someone in between. So if they inherited their husband's business, they wouldn't necessarily go out and collect all the debts or, you know, be the money on who goes around and collects things. But and there would always be sort of an intermediate thing. I think the thing about Scrooge that works so well is he has direct contact with the people he should feel sympathy for, and he doesn't feel sympathy for them. I think if you tried to put a woman in it, writing it in Victorian England, you would have the problem that you'd need to get past of like, well, how will this woman interact with the people she needs to help? And I think if you maybe didn't have her as a business magnet, as an entrepreneur, but had her coming into contact with those she should be helping in a different way, very directly, then it would work. But the question is, if you've changed the entrepreneurial aspect and you've changed the, the gender of Scrooge, is it still recognisable as a Christmas carol? Are those two essential elements that are in it? I don't know. As to whether you should gender swap or whether you should put more interesting characters in, I think I think you need to decide what kind of character you need as your front runner and say, well, I want to get across this message, and to get across this message, I need this type of character, and for this type of character to work and be believable and relatable, I need it to be surrounded by these type of people. And then you look at what you've got and go, well, which is best, a a boy or a girl, a man or a woman? 
and then take it from there. I think I think you have to look at what message you're putting across and then decide how best it fits rather than trying to go, well, I want to do a female Scrooge. What's the best way? That would be the way I'd prefer to do it, I think. Playing, of course, with people's kind of prior gender assumptions about men and women. And this leads really beautifully on to the question of Scrooge's traits. I think you might have had a question about this because I thought it was really interesting and I was thinking about it earlier. So you were talking about kind of his arrogance, his, I suppose, mean-spiritedness, his um, cruelty and total kind of emotional disconnect. And the idea of, are, are we saying that these traits could not be shown by women that this these are somehow male traits and we talk about male traits and female traits all, all the time but I thought that was an interesting um question to ask when we look at you know female Scrooges and this, this transposing the character over I mean personally it was really funny because I said this to my mum and she went well I don't know any women, you know, who could be like that. And I said, yes, mum, but do you know any men like that? And she was like, no. (laughs) So actually, I don't feel like these are particularly male traits. You know, I think that the point of A Christmas Carol um, is to, it's, it's not about, it could work in kind of any gender in any era. It's more about the human spirit um, and about the things that we should uh, fight against in ourselves so selfishness and cruelty and and the complete disinterest in the lives of our fellow humans so maybe it isn't about a man then maybe at the center of the christmas carol is not a man or a woman it's actually a society role and the reason that it works with a man so well is because that was the role that men held in society in victorian times if you have a look at the updated roles, department store magnet, landlord, singer, talk show host, book publisher, these are all roles that fit the same image, the same power, the same kind of job description, but are held by women in the modern world. So mm. perhaps it's not a story necessarily about humanity. Perhaps it's a story about society. And if you are in this position in society, whether you're a man or a woman, whether in Victorian England, Roman Britain, modern day New York, it doesn't matter as long as you've got that position. It's the position that counts and not the person. That is a fantastic point. I love it. Uh, I think that is completely true. I think that is that is absolutely it. It's a, it talks about positions of power. He is, Scrooge has always been in a position of power and influence. And it's a story about not abusing that power and influence. And it's a story, I guess, about, you know, if you have been blessed for whatever reason to be in a comfortable life, stop to think a little a bit about those people who are not. Um, and you're right that, you know, to be in in such a position requires a certain place in society. And of course, women haven't had that place in society mm-hmm. very long. Therefore, it's generally a man's story. So it's not necessarily that the flaws are associated with men. It's that the position that they hold that brings with it these flaws or can encourage these flaws are ones that men traditionally hold and women more so in modern day. So whether Scrooge is a man or a woman doesn't seem to matter. The key message behind A Christmas Carol, as well as Don't Be a Dick, is to be aware of and generous to those in society who have less than you. Christmas might be a time for families to come together and celebrate the season, but Dickens reminds us that this isn't the case for everyone. In 2020, a year that has been so awful for so many, 
the message of a Christmas carol is more important than ever. So our final message to you this year, within the spirit of a Christmas carol, but taking the words from another source entirely, be excellent to each other and party on dudes. Merry Christmas from all of us. Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Breaking the Glass Slipper is written and produced by Megan Lee, Charlotte Bond and Lucy Hounsom. Please help us spread the word. Subscribe and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you would like to hear on the next episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper.